One of the things that happens when you start to move your recruiting employer brand thinking from transactional, I have a job, you have an opening, let's switch, I'll pay you for your time, your passion, your energy, blah, 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 here's your bonus, here's your perks, what have you, remote work, yes, remote work, no, whatever. Moving into a world of relationships is that suddenly stories matter. Actually, that's not true. Stories always matter. (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking there. No, stories have always mattered. They always, always matter. The trick is we've ignored them for a very, very long time. Let me ask you a question. When you think of someone you're close to, your friend, your significant other, what partner, what have you, do you think about how often, how tall they are, or what size shoe they have, or what year they graduated high school, or I don't know, what are some of the factual pieces of information? Yeah, I mean, it shows up here and there, but when you picture that person, you don't see like a diagram of a person and a bunch of like little fine line um, arrows pointing out with numbers next to them saying, okay, this person is this tall, they weigh this much money, um, they graduated from this school, detail, 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 facts, 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 facts. No. When I ask you to think of that person, probably the first thing that pops in your mind is a picture and immediately a story about them. It might be something funny, it might be something sad, but it's a story. The reason why you met that person, how you met that person, the reason why you love that person, the reason why you're best friends with that person, all that stuff is the fuel. When you think about relationships, you gotta remember that stories are the fuel for relationships. When you meet a friend and you haven't met that friend, you haven't seen that friend in years, and I don't know, Maybe this is a thing that's happening a lot in COVID time. Maybe you haven't seen this person in the flesh in two years or maybe even more. And you have that moment where it feels like you you never stopped talking, like you just pick up, like no, no big deal. What do you spend your time talking about? Do you spend your time talking about the news? Do you spend your time talking about, um, I don't know, the weather? No, you tell each other stories about yourself and a lot of remember when. Stories are the fuel for relationships. And that's why stories and narratives are so important in employer brand, especially as you're elevating your company away from this old transactional model to something new. And that's what we're going to talk about today when we get back. Hey, everybody. James Ellis. How you doing? Welcome to the Talent Cast. This is season two. It is Talent Chooses You, the audio book, the podcast, version two. Yay, I guess. I don't know. I have no official title for this project other than I'm doing it again and I'm trying to do it more. How about better? How about that? How's that? Uh, Special thanks to RecruitmentMarketing.com for sponsoring the entire season. We're coming on halfway point. Just keeping way markers here. This is like episode, I actually have this written down somewhere. This is episode, you know what? What? You're going to listen to me click on things. This is episode 12. We have 27, 28 kind of, you know, earmarked. So we're coming up on halfway point. So that's good. Uh, as always, if you're loving employer brand, if you want to think about how to do your employer brand better, if you think you care about employer brand but aren't sure, sign up for my newsletter. It is employerbrand.news. Yes, that domain is real. It's employerbrand.news. It's free. No salesman will call. No one will spam you. No one will sell you anything. You just get a little smarter if you open it and read it and click some links, right? There you go. Anyway. Let's get into narrative. So the title of this chapter is The Narrative Advantage, Stories, Not Facts, Connect Talent to Your Employer Brand. And I will admit 
that the idea that stories being the fuel for relationships is something that occurred to me well after I published this book. So this is new information. It's a new kind of frame to look at this stuff. But I think it's incredibly valid to think of it that way. And honestly, there are plenty of companies who do nothing but tell stories and do it for the employer brand, employee advocacy, employee engagement kind of model. And maybe they t- write videos, maybe they write articles, maybe they do profiles, whatever. Stories are important. In fact, stories rule the world and our imagination, right? But more importantly, they're the driver of our choices. We tell ourselves stories. When you look at a, a really nice watch and think about buying it, somewhere in your brain, It thinks, it wonders, am I the kind of person who spends this much money on a watch? That's not schizophrenic. That's really rational. That's completely normal. In a lot of ways, the buying process is a function of, am I that kind of person? Does that person further my story? Am I the kind of person who likes to spend $20,000 on a watch to show off how rich I am? Or am I the kind of person who will drop $40 on a Timex, maybe swap out the band to show people how frugal and smart and clever I am? Because let's be fair, they both tell time. What's the story I want to tell? What's the story I'm telling myself? Right? This is the same power that Apple leverages when it launches a new product. To know that the people who love Apple products are the kind of people who would buy the new thing. Right, Seth Godin talks about this idea of people like us do things like this. That's a story. Then, you know, people don't want to feel like they're missing out or falling behind the rest of their tribe, the rest of their people. They're willing to pay a, a premium sometimes, whether it's money or standing in line or, you know, whatever it is, to tell themselves that story about how they're on the cutting edge. You know, if you're an Apple or you're 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 worth a $20,000 watch if you're talking about a, I don't know, a tag hewer or something. I don't know. Uh, Philip Petit is really more my brand of dream. Um, you know, that's the thing. That Are they the kind of people who do that thing? Are they the kind of people who think differently and will say, I want to be seen as being smart and clever, and so I'm only going to spend 40 bucks on that Timex, right? The stories are not strictly rational, and this is where I often lose people because stories are not rational. Think of, heck, go all the way back to Joseph Campbell. It's all about myth-making. We would tell ourselves stories about how nature worked and how the seasons worked and what bravery meant and the, the friction between fathers and sons. These were myths. Those are called stories. Now, no one thinks that there's a guy, now anyway, hopefully not, though in this day and age, who's to say, there's not a guy down in the volcano hammering away at the forge and that's what makes volcanoes erupt. But It's a fun story. That's not rational, but it's an interesting story. And there's a lot of levels inside those stories. I mean, have you ever looked down your nose at someone because they didn't have the latest smartwatch or the white earbuds that everybody else seems to have? Maybe, maybe not. But the people who choose to buy those things tell themselves that story. They think different. They're part of the Apple tribe. This is who I am. This is how I show people I'm part of this special set. This is how I feel special. And more than the the feature set or the price, the story is what drives people to buy. That's what moves us, stories. Whether they're stories we tell ourselves, stories we want to tell other people, it's the stories that move us. The same holds true for jobs. Your job, whether you like it or not, and you should be very aware of this, says so much about you. In the same way that my job says so much about me and who I am and what I care about and what I think about and what I you know, how I spend my time and what I'm committed to and what motivates me. Developers and coders dream of working at some 
big old high palace of development. So it's going to take a lot more effort to get them to consider working at your hospital, your bank. Why? Because they tell themselves and, you know, each other, I guess, the story that great coders work at Google or Facebook or Fangs or whatever. They don't work at a bank or a hospital, except that's completely insane. But that's the story they tell. That's the story they tell themselves. And that's the story they tell each other because that's how they see the world. Stories reinforce our particular viewpoint on the world. Not to get totally political here, but the reason why the Q thing seems to connect people is because it keeps reinforcing. It's like, hey, this is this story that we're going to tell each other and tell ourselves about how we see politics and news. And it influences everything they see. And the more they surround themselves with other people who tell that story, the more they're willing to look at a at a ball and call it flat or look at the color red and call it blue because everyone around them is telling themselves the same story and each other that same story and it reinforces itself. It defines how they see that world. Now, it's interesting that stories we tell ourselves end up driving our choices, which of course feeds and validates the story. It is actually a feedback loop. You tell a story, you do the thing, thus the story must be true. It's a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. One that you, an employer brand, need to break just a little bit in order to be useful, in order to be heard. If people look at your brand and say, I'm not the kind of person who works there, well, you've got to figure out who is the kind of person who works there. What is their tribe? What do they care about? And start to open that up a bit so that some of the people, not all, but you're not going to change people's mindsets and you know worldviews. They can see that potentially they have a spot inside this world. Again, as Seth Godin talks about it, branding is this idea that people like us do things like this. People like us that are recruiters maybe do things like this, get LinkedIn recruiter seats. We tell ourselves that story. I mean, I've been in businesses where Recruiters have complained about not having access to recruiter seats and effectively what they were saying is how exactly am I a recruiter if I don't have this, what I think is the most basic tool in the tool set? How can I be a carpenter if I don't own a hammer? We can quibble all day long as to whether or not a recruiter seat is the core tool, much like a hammer to a a carpenter of recruiters, because that's a whole separate conversation, but it reinforces how can people like us, recruiters, not have that. How can you, we still be called recruiters? For example, people like us, people who care about our code do things like this. We use tabs rather than spaces. And there's an audience out there who probably doesn't listen to this podcast, who is really mad at that statement. They would go the other way. People like us, arborists do things like this. Take pride in how much time we get to spend outside. People like us do things like this. It's the underlying thread that helps people feel like they're connected to something bigger than themselves. And if that's not powerful, I don't know what is. That story people tend themselves frame, set, and establish the choices they make. And that matters to you because you want them to choose you, don't you? You want them to want you, to desire you, to care about you. But if you're a startup and you haven't been written up in insert 20,000 different startup publications at any time, given time in North America or in the Valley, let's be fair, that's where most of them are, and you haven't been mentioned and you haven't been featured and people aren't talking about you, are you even a cool startup? You think you are, but according to the world, the people who tell themselves stories that you're not, you may not be. So how do you get people to tell that story? How much do you understand 
the future of finance. I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. Here's another way to think about story. Money. Money is a story we tell ourselves. What do I think money I earn buys me? Right? Why do I work hard to earn money? Am I working because I've got a debt and a mafia boss is going to come break my thumbs if I don't pay them? Well, not in my particular case, but that might be somebody's motivation. The I have to pay my bookie or they kill me kind of story is a story. And that drives, that motivates, that forms and frames all their choices. The You've seen Breaking Bad, right? The story he told himself is that I'm only going to do this meth thing for a little bit to pay off this thing so I can set my family up, which begets, which begets, which begets. And then you get like six seasons of mayhem, right? There you go. That's how a mindset of what, how I see the world affects all my choices. What else can money buy me? Freedom, a better retirement, security, lots of fun things to play with. Well, what do I care about? What's important? Companies that can't offer premium salaries are still attracting great talent because what they do is change the story that money tells. If the candidate thinks money money buys the chance to change the world or offer them, you know, you, what you do is you offer them, you know, time to go change the world as a substitution. Okay, I can't pay you a million dollars a year to change the world, but the work we're going to do is going to change the world and... I will make sure you have time set aside to go volunteer and do that thing that will change the world. You can attract great people, even though the price tag might be way, way, way lower. If they see money as a means to follow their or to show off their success, you know, for that status feeling, well, then offer them status. Give them a platform on which to become famous. Explain to them that they will be the face of whatever function you're doing, that you will sponsor them to go to conferences and you know get a little time to go write articles for magazines and publications. That's how you offer them status. Because if they see money as status, give them status instead of money. Not completely. It's not a one-to-one -one split. You can't say, we're going to pay you nothing, but we're going to give you all this status. Chances are they're not going to buy that. I'm talking about on the margins. I'm talking about the difference between you and Facebook in terms of pay. Facebook is always going to beat you. So if they can always, in, in terms of money, so how do you bridge the gap? You offer your money plus the thing that Facebook can't. And that's how you get a value proposition that the candidate cares about. If they see money as a way to feed their own development, offer the mentorship, sponsorship, coaching, feedback, classes, tuition assistance, whatever it is, feed their development. Great employer branding professionals, whether they're conscious of it or not, approach their jobs very similarly. They spend time wondering, what story do we want prospects to be telling themselves when they apply? Why are they applying? Are they applying for money? Are they applying for status or opportunity, the chance to feed their side hustle, a career ladder? Uh, the story that you tell attracts people who align themselves to the story. It reinforces that story that they tell themselves, remember, feedback loop, 
and connects the dots leading to higher quality candidates, better interviews, higher acceptance rates, all that great stuff, you know, you know, better talent, stuff like that. What we want candidates to think about or tell themselves when they think about us is the heart of branding. Yes, it's desire. Why do you desire? Because I want that thing. Why do you desire the Kanye tickets? Because I want to show off to the world that I've I'm exclusive. I'm in the inner circle. I could afford the tickets. I could do the thing. I want to tell that story. And when they click that that buy ticket now, regardless of the insane price tag associated with it, they see it as a value and because it feeds a motivation. It feeds and reinforces the story they tell themselves. So if you don't understand what story your candidates are telling themselves when they click that link, that apply button, you're up a creek. You are lost. You need to understand why people apply. And not just because they want a job. Duh, yes, of course. And but dig deeper, dig deeper, go under that, beyond that. People don't want, and this is important, people don't want a job. At least any good talent doesn't want a job. Great talent can get any job. They can get almost any job they want. They have their choice. Great talent wants the job. So how do you show your the job? By telling a story that aligns with their story about themselves. Here, I'm going to tell you a story about how stories matter. There is a um, <laughs> there's a, a, a website in Britain, pretty sure it's Britain. Let's call it Europe. I mean, we can still call Britain and Europe. It's part of Europe, right? It can, not on part of the continent, but part of the larger continent. Anyway, let's not get into politics. Brexit is, Brexit is stupid. Anyway, moving on. So there's a website that sells used stuffed animals, which is really kind of impressive because you're like, what? Stuffed animals. The story they tell is they actually started the business because they were working in a consignment shop or they were working in a donation shop and they were seeing that most of the stuffed animals being donated were getting thrown into the pet toy aisle, right? They were saying, well, it's overly loved. It's probably could use a wash. It's probably, it doesn't look great. Kids aren't going to want it. Throw it to the dogs. Or they would actually get thrown in the garbage. What they did is they designed an entire business in which they would buy those stuffed animals, or at least take them, the ones that were being binned, and say, hey, we'll take them off your hands. Give them a wash, tighten them up, and sell them. Eh, not much of a business. What they do that makes the business successful is genius. Each stuffed animal they sell, they aren't selling it. They're treating it like an adoption agency, whether it's a pet adoption or a kid adoption, whatever. They treat it like this kid is adopting a, an, a thing, not just a stuffed animal thing, but like a feeling, right? This stuffed animal was loved by a child, given up because the child grew out of it. Now it needs a new home. That's called adoption. That's how pets work. That's how kids work, right? So if you frame this idea of, I'm going to tell you a story about this stuffed octopus. His name is, it's not Octo. Don't, come on, don't be that way. You give him a name, you give him a story and you say, he really loves gourmet food. And you write two, three sentences about him and the personality and what kind of kid would really like him. People flock to this site. It's used, stuffed, animals, this thing that has no, almost no functional value, suddenly they, people are paying a premium for because the story, the story sets the frame. It says, this is why you should engage. It tells the story. You're not going to a website to buy a stuffed animal. You're going to adopt it. And there's a fee, by the way, not surprisingly, because it's a for commerce store, whatever. But 
Everything is framed inside this story of the adoption agency. Absolute genius. Absolute genius. Stories stick. And while stories stick, facts just rot. You know, what's the biggest company in the world? Well, I mean, it depends on the moment you look at the stock market. The answer is always changing. Other facts change, much like people's perception of who the best employer in your area is, who's got the big recent investment, who won an award, who's in the news, who's in the news for a good thing, who's in the news for a bad thing. These are facts. And sadly, too many companies rely on those facts as the foundation for their brand, not realizing that those facts are absolutely tenuous. Are you the number one company in the world? Congratulations. What's tomorrow look like? Trust me, Elon and I guess whoever, Jeff Bezos now, he's not in charge, but he still owns most of the stock. They have some thoughts on who's the biggest company, who's the, who's the richest person. They have some thoughts on who's the top employer. Google, sure, Google's been the number one employer for years and years and years. You think that's a forever thing? Uh-uh. Uh-oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. Cracks are forming in their employer brand. Trust me. Nothing that's factual stays. Nothing is. GM is splitting into two different companies. I mean, nothing that's factual stays. Facts rot. And they are very little impact on the candidates. They set and, and help you kind of reinforce the story you're telling. But by themselves, they tell you almost nothing. But if you tell a story about how much you care for your employees and how hard you work to launch a product, how successful your employees became on their own time after, you know, with you, or, you know, just the stories of people those stories can live forever. Facts will shift, facts will move, but your stories will stay forever. Nordstrom has been dining off their story about how people, someone once returned a product and the company accepted the return and issued them credit for a product they've never sold. They told it as a story. It sets their brand. It tells everybody what Nordstrom's is all about. Customer service, go beyond, go above and beyond. And it that happened once. It happened 30 years ago. And they're still trading on that. We still talk about Nordstrom's as the height of customer service. One story like that can live forever, it feels like, especially in this kind of age. What should make the candidate feel positive about your brand? That's the question. That's, a, that's the story you want them to tell themselves. That's the story you want them to absorb. Ever see a company touting that award that they won for a great employer four years after winning it, right? Well, uh, we won it in 2018. Well, uh, okay, but this isn't 2018, and apparently you've been on the decline, so yay, good for you. In fact, it may, to me, it makes it worse. Like, so wait, you know how to be a great employer, but you've chosen not to do that stuff anymore? Interesting, interesting, huh? Okay, keep talking. Right? Should that idea make a candidate feel positive about the brand because the company once had the capacity to be a great employer or negative because those days are in the rear view mirror? Your employer brand is the why, as in why should I work here? What should I expect? Why should I care about working here? What, what is the value proposition? It's the answer to the question of why. But that why in itself is a formula in two parts. The statement, why should I think about working here, is actually, why should I, individual person, think about working here, this particular team, company, office? The two sides, the I and the here, need to be considered at the exact same time, with exact equal weight. You can talk about how great it is to work here, but if it doesn't relate to the I in this statement, a la me, who cares? But if you only care about the me, but don't talk about you, I don't know what the heck we're talking about. The two sides need to be, they have equal weight. 
So half of it is told by the company in the form of what they do, what they sell, how they recruit, what the stories are told to prospects, the career site, the social media, the job postings, the content, the videos, yada, yada, yada. That's the half that the company controls. This is what it's like to work here. But you point it at a particular kind of person who wants that thing. That idea tells and decides what stories you're going to convey to the world. And honestly, if you don't, the second half exists in the candidate's mind. It's how they take all the touch points that you have put out there and the ones you didn't mean to and the stuff that just kind of inadvertently shows up, you know, what their friends say, the network say, the news says, interactions, customer service, product stuff, blah, blah, blah. They merge their touch points and their perception with your story. And that's what establishes the brand. The brand lives in their head. So consequently, it's not something you can actually impact. You can only influence it by telling stories. Stories are how you change someone's perception. When I told you the story about the company that sells stuffed animals, your immediate reaction went, really? And then I told you the story about the adoption agency and told you they were making money. You went, huh, that's a really interesting thing. And I guarantee you, that is a story you will tell someone one day because it's a story that sticks in my head. It's probably a story that sticks in your head. It's not a fact that sticks in my head. It's a story. Could I tell you what the name of the company is? Nope. Could I tell you what country they exist in? Nope. Could I tell you what, how many animals they did or any kind of facts about the company? Uh-uh. What I can tell you? The story. An employer brand is the sum of what you project and what they absorb. And it is collectively told story. It is a collaboratively, cooperatively told story. You don't tell it. They don't tell it. Together, you build it. If you insist on saying how innovative you are, but when candidates walk up and they see a 10, 12-year-old ATS, how innovative do you think they think you are? You said it. Congratulations. It's a claim. Wonderful. Good for you. Anybody can make claims, a la me and LeBron and Donuts. But if you don't prove it on the day-to-day, what's it mean? If you say you care about employees, but everybody knows they work for 12 and 14-hour days, what will they believe? That you care about your employees? Maybe not. Probably not. If you say you care about women employees, but your maternity leave is the legal bare minimum in the United States, guess what? People aren't going to believe that you care about women. Everybody see that? This is I'm being I'm recording this in uh, mid March, just after Women's History, Women's International. Oh, I always get this wrong. The Women's Day, where everybody talks about International Women's Day. That's what it is. I knew I would get it. Um, there's a there was a bot on Twitter, and any time a company would use that hashtag, the International Women's Day hashtag, the bot would actually look at data and then automatically retweet to that company and tell them what the pay gap between women and men was and kind of say, really, huh, you say this thing, but then here's your actions. You sure about that? The number of companies who deleted their own tweets because they were called out by a bot Oh my goodness, that is just genius, absolute genius. If you, I, that, I, that's the thing. It reinforces this idea of claim all you want, say how great you are all you want, but when the rubber meets the road, what's really left? So all this means that in order to give yourself a chance to set the frame of your story, most of the story has to happen before they apply. Once they start applying, they're already in. They've already made a choice. So all the good work happens pre-choice, but that's a good thing. Talent doesn't surf job boards, right? They don't hang out on Indeed and and LinkedIn just kind of seeing what's what. They aren't trolling your postings. 
They're, they're busy doing their actual job. You know, the thing that they're amazing at, the thing that they actively learn how to do better, i.e. the reason you want to pay them a whole ton of cash. Your goal is to build such a great story that it's compelling enough to reach and crack the barrier between job seeker and non-job seeker. Mike Temkin over at Shaker once said at dinner one thing, uh, and I'm going to mess it up, but the intention I think is, is core. Because no one's actually a passive applicant. We were talking a lot about active versus passive. He goes, no one's an a-, a passive applicant. Everybody's an active applicant who just hasn't been given the right offer yet. Everybody is willing to listen to an interesting story. Everybody is willing to listen to an offer. So if you need to engage those audiences, you need to kind of crack that barrier, say something so compelling that it's not designed just to engage the talent seeker, who, by the way, they're, 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 I'm not talent seeker, the job seeker, whose bar are so low, they will read things like job postings, despite the fact that they are the worst written things ever in human history. Uh, they make legal guidelines sound warm and fuzzy. And that's a great indication of how desperate people are to apply for a job. If they actually read the job posting, then I've seen some of yours. They're horrible. Some of mine are horrible too. So I'm not casting aspersions. But to be fair, no one reads a job posting who isn't desperate for a job. The people you want to engage aren't that desperate. The bar is higher. Things like how, where, and what story you tell should be true to you. It should be actual. It should be engaging and real and authentic but it's got to be meaningful to them, to someone who isn't interested in learning about your values, for example. Your values may be amazing, but what do I care? I don't work there. I have a job. I'm very happy where I am. Why on earth would I want to read that information? Take that value story, wrap it up an engaging story about how someone made a decision at work or how someone made a decision that affected the company using the values, Maybe I'll read that. That might be interesting. You wrote it really well, and there's a nice, pretty graphic, and someone I care, I, I like shared it. Okay, well, now you're talking. Storytelling isn't useful just as a mean to, means to attract prospects. It provides recruiters deeper tools to entice a candidate to apply, to crack that barrier, to turn them from a, someone who doesn't care about your job to someone who's very interested in what you have to say all the way to the point where they were willing to research the company and accept the offer. The story becomes the lens through which all other recruiting efforts are seen, meaning each recruiter becomes more effective because they align to a story already accepted as true. If I'm the recruiter from Nordstrom's and I'm a bad recruiter, it's going to break the sense of, oh, they're good at customer service. But if I make a meager effort to be good at my customer service, that candidate, that prospect who has assumed that Nordstrom has great customer service will kind of read into it and say, oh, it's pretty good customer service. Yeah, it's Nordstrom. Of course, it's going to be that good. The story framed the experience and established what that that intention ends up feeling like, what that impact feels like. The story fuels the relationship. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I hope that was a good one. I I enjoyed that one. Um, Not that I haven't enjoyed all these, but this idea, I feel like I haven't, I haven't kind of come back to and, and, and reinvestigated in a while. So I'm super, <laughs> this is a lot of fun. So thanks so much for listening. I will see you next week. Thanks as always to recruitmentmarketing.com for sponsoring it. We're going to talk about candidate experience next week, maybe a little bit more. We'll see how it goes. And uh, I can't wait to see you then. Talk to you later. Bye.
The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.